Romans this morning, book of Romans. Romans is um, an absolutely amazing book, absolutely amazing book. It's, it's not my favorite book in the Bible, but if I only could ever teach from one book, it would be the book of Romans, because there's so much in here that to, to talk about, and it's just that foundational book of our Christian walk and our Christian life. And we were going through 2 Timothy a few weeks ago. Uh, one of the passages was in chapter 3. We talked about how all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and one of the words was it was useful for doctrine. Now, when you think of doctrine, when I think of doctrine, doctrine usually gets a negative feeling. We think of doctrine, we think of, oh, maybe catechism. We think of doctrine, we think of just this boringness of sitting there and just having to learn all these elements. If that's what you think doctrine is, you're, you're misunderstanding what doctrine is. Doctrine is the foundation of our walk and our relationship with the Lord. It's so absolutely vital. The way I look at doctrine is when they go out and they lay the foundation of the house or in the building. You know, one of the things that we've done out here through our building projects or when Dawn and I built our own house, we were so excited when they came and laid the foundation as progress was being made. And after you get the foundation laid, sometimes you step back and say, like, okay, maybe I didn't notice as much as I thought I would. Because you see more progress when the sticks go up and the wood goes up and the drywall goes up and the roof goes on. You start seeing the frame of the house. But you can only see the frame of the house once you lay that foundation. And it's the same thing here with doctrine. Once this doctrine is laid, you will grow so much in your walk and relationship with Christ. Chapters 1 through 8 of the book of Romans is laying that foundation of doctrine. Chapters 9 through 11, he takes a brief break and he talks about Israel, which I'm looking forward to. Then chapters 12 and on, it's now application. Now, if you think that means that chapters 1 through 8 are going to be this dry boringness of getting nothing out of it, once again, you don't fully understand Romans and what's going to come out of this book. This book is so rich, it's so wonderful, and it's as you go through it, you almost feel a little inadequate. This is such a, a, a wonderful book of the Bible. In fact, Romans has always carried such a lore in my mind that uh, back uh, in 1997, Pastor Crager, who was a pastor at the time, approached me and said, hey, would you start teaching the Wednesday nights out here at church? Uh, teach the adults. And I, and I, yeah, I said, I'll pray about it. He goes, we're going through the book of Romans. And in my mind, I thought, Romans? I thought, I don't want to teach through Romans. <laughs> Romans is too... Uh, too much. It's Romans. It's a wonderful book. So I punted. I said, there's another guy out here, and some of you may remember his name was Jason Punches. And I said, well, you know, Jason's getting ready to leave for college. Why don't you let Jason teach Romans for a little bit? And so Jason taught Romans, and they finished up Romans, and Jim came back and said, hey, would you prayerfully consider teaching Wednesday nights? And said, what are you going through? He goes, First Samuel. And I said, okay, I can do First Samuel. So I started teaching with First Samuel, but at that time, Romans was like, oh my goodness, Romans. How could you ever fully get everything out of Romans? I don't know how many times I've read through Romans. We've taught through Romans before. And every time you go through this book, you glean something else. It's a wonderful book. In fact, if you go back and listen to a lot of the messages, I'm willing to bet the book that we quote the most is probably Romans. It's such a foundational book of our faith and our walk. So, And the interesting thing about the book of Romans is a lot of the times when we study these books out in the New Testament, they're written to a person or to a certain church to take care of a certain problem. First Timothy was written to, obviously, Timothy to say, hey, this is how you are a pastor, this is how you run the church. Second Timothy, written to Timothy again of Paul dying and he leaving his final words. You know, we talk about Titus, writing to Titus to say, this is how you run the church. Romans, there's not a specific problem that's being addressed. It's let's just talk about the Lord and our foundation of Him. And I guarantee you, as you go through this, you will definitely, definitely be blessed. So with that being said, let's jump right into this. Verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Now stop there for a second, because we have a tendency just to skip over those words and keep going. Paul, led by the Spirit here, he's kind of notorious for being wordy at the beginning. 
Paul has a tendency to take about a half a chapter to get to his point. We have a tendency to kind of just skip over all that stuff. And finally about, oh, here in Romans, really it's about verse 16 that we really start getting into the meat of the book. But you can't get to verse 16 unless you fully understand verse 1. Verse 1 has everything we need to know. First off, Paul. Who was this guy? Well, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And you know what? Hopefully we have some Pauls here this morning. But before you became a Paul, you were a Saul. And you were doing things you probably shouldn't have been doing. There is no comparison today of what it's like for Paul when he became saved. I, I, I can't think of one. Paul, before he got saved, used to round up Christians and have them killed. That's what, that's what Paul used to do. The, the closest I've ever heard, I heard a teaching one time say this. He goes, the closest that we have today would be either if Osama bin Laden or Saddam Hussein would have got saved. We wouldn't have believed it. Impossible. In fact, when Paul got saved, the church didn't believe it. They thought Paul was faking. So that way he could kind of infiltrate the church and sneak his way in. It was that big a deal when Paul got saved. What an amazing thing it is. Let's, let's get a little bit of background here about Paul. Turn if you will to Acts chapter 9. Because I want to focus on this word, bondservant. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Paul's conversion in Acts 9. That bondservant is a very interesting word. That word bondservant means willing servant. They're, they're a slave that willfully became a slave. They weren't forced into this. They weren't made a slave. They willfully became a slave. It means that this servant loved their master so much that they say, I will willfully choose to serve you. I will become a bondservant because I know you love me and I love you, and I don't want to be free. Think about that for a second. I'd rather serve you because I love you so much than rather than be free. So when Paul says he's a bondservant of a Christ, it's a willing servant, a willing slave. That's a huge word. We're going to build on that more. So this willing servant, this willing slave, Paul, how did Saul, his old name, become Paul? Well, Acts 9, verse 1. Then Saul, Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's what Paul used to do. Round up the Christians and take them to be uh, tried. That's what he used to do. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Paul's conversion. He saw the light, literally. It's saved. It's an amazing thing. The man that used to round up Christians and kill him is now saved. Now, but I want to build on this a little bit. I want to talk about that word again, that bondservant, that willing slave. Because what you have here is you have verse 5. And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. He, he has the knowledge now of the Lord. He knew Christ. He met Jesus. But what makes Paul a bondservant, a willing slave, is verse 6. So he, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? See, verse 6 is where he becomes the bondservant. Verse 5 and 4, he knows him. Verse 6, he says, now I want to serve you. Let's just be honest. A lot of us in our Christian walk, we stall out between verse 5 and 6. We know the Lord. We know he's Jesus. We know he's God. But this idea of verse 6, of truly giving everything over to the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? We really don't do that. We're, we're not the bondservant. We're, we're a hired hand. Where if I don't like it, I'm just going to take this job and shove it. Bondservants, no. Bondservant says, I love my master enough that whatever he asks me to do, I'm going to do. We joke about this a lot. We joke about that bumper sticker, you know, God is my co-pilot. How you don't want him to be the co-pilot, you want him to be the pilot. And so you have this idea, you want to give everything over to the Lord. A lot of us are willing to serve the Lord, but under certain conditions. Lord, don't touch my health, don't touch my kids, don't touch my spouse. 
And Lord, I, I want to live a somewhat, I don't need to be rich, but a somewhat prosperous life, and I want to live till I'm 95, and I want to die peaceably in my sleep. And then until then, at 95, I will proclaim your goodness and your love until the day I die. Now, who wouldn't sign up for that? But a bondservant is, Lord, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm just going to give my life over to you in all ways. And whatever you want, whatever you say, whatever you need, I will do. I don't want to do that. Because what happens if the Lord says, I'm going to use you mightily through trials and tribulations? Lord, no. I'm going to use you mightily through sickness. Lord, no. I'm going to use you mightily through the difficulties of life. Lord, no. I don't want to be a Job. Not Job. See, that's the thing about the book of Job. We love the book of Job. We want to read the book of Job. We want to study the book of Job, but we don't want to live the book of Job. And see, Paul, as a bondservant, as a willing slave, says, Lord, I'm giving you everything, so therefore whatever comes my way, I know I'm in your hands. I had a situation this week. I, I was had a fun little conversation back and forth with a guy. He texted me, and he was going through a college class, and he asked for prayer. And I said, I'll pray for you. So he texted back, and he says, what happens if you pray for me, and everybody else prays for me, and I still fail the class? And I said, well, I texted back, saying something to the effect of, well, if, if, if we all prayed for you to pass, and we gave it over to the Lord, and you did the best that you could, and you tried and did the best you could, and you still failed the class, there's a peace in knowing that you're in God's will. You know, and that's the thing about life, is, well, if this happens, what, what does this mean? Sometimes it means you're right where God wants you to be. Well, I don't like what's been dealt my way. I don't like what's been dealt my way sometimes. And this is why we don't like to go to verse 6 of, of Acts 9. Lord, what do you want me to do? We want to say, Lord, I want to make a deal with you. Here's the business arrangement. It doesn't work that way. A bondservant is a willing slave that gives his life completely and fully over to his master because he knows his master loves him, and he loves his master, and so therefore he has a trust and a faith that whatever comes his way, his master will take care of. That word bondservant is huge. When Paul says he's a bondservant, he says, I've given my life completely over to the Lord in all ways and all things. Whatever comes my way, I trust him. That's a big, big deal. Let's move on because we're going to talk about it a little bit more. He's a bondservant of Christ, verse 1, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel. Two words there I want to talk about, called and separated. That word called literally means fenced out. It means it's almost like God has staked his area. I've called you. I've fenced you out. I was over at someone's house this week, and they live in town. And they had this fence, and it was probably about a six-foot-tall fence or so, and obviously me not being six-foot-tall, it felt big to me. But it, it was one of those things where as you're standing in there, you couldn't see the neighbors, you couldn't see anything, and you could see this idea of fenced out. You felt like you're in your own little area, your own little world. And that's what God's saying is, I've called you out of the world. I fenced you out because I have a purpose for you, and as I've called you, I've separated you. You're separate from the world. I don't want you to be in the world. As Jim was talking earlier, I'm praying. You know, when you claim to be a Christian and call yourself a believer and step out in faith in the world, you, you are, you're going to be ostracized to an extent because you are now separated from the world. I don't mean this judgmentally. I don't mean this mean. But too many times I see people that claim to be a Christian that they talk like the world, they dress like the world, they act like the world, they live like the world, and it's like, what's the difference? We're supposed to be separated. Through our actions, through our words, through our motives, there is a visible difference. Not because we're trying to shove the gospel down somebody's throat, but we are called out, we're fenced out, we're separated from the world because of the gospel. And this is the key word here. This word gospel in verse 1 is the bookends of this lesson today. Verse 1, the gospel of God. Verse 15, so as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. This word gospel is so vital. This is the bookends, once again, of what we're doing today. It's all about the gospel. See, that's the thing about the gospel. When you're called out and separated from the world, you have a purpose. See, so often people come up to me and they want to sit down and have this deep heart-to-heart -heart about what their purpose in life is. And I, I can always tell, I just, obviously the answer I give them is not the answer they're looking for. 
If someone comes up to me and says, I don't know what I, my purpose in life is, I say, that's so easy. John 15, verse 16, your purpose is to go spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your purpose. Well, I know that. I mean, I mean, what's my real purpose? What do you mean, what's your real purpose? That's your real purpose. You were created to tell people about Christ. And they're like, okay, I know, I know that, but I'm saying seriously, what, what, what else? I don't know if there is anything else. Yes, you go out and you have to work a job to pay the bills. But while you're working that job, you're still going to tell people about Christ. Yes, you may get married, and if you get married, you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church, or you're going to respect, honor your husband as the wife, but you're still going to tell people about Christ. You may be blessed with kids. If you're blessed with kids, you'll raise them in Jesus to tell them about Christ. If you're not married, you'll have a circle of friends and relationships. And what are you going to do with those circle of friends and relationships? Hopefully tell them about Christ. That's your purpose. So often we're looking for something deep and, and, and spiritual, and, and, and God has called me to this huge purpose. He has. You get to tell people about Christ. That's a pretty big deal. problem is we kind of water it down a little bit. See, and this is the thing about Paul. He was so passionate about the gospel, passionate about the gospel. He knew it. He experienced it. He, he had this passion about it. Once again, it's the bookends of this lesson in verse 1 and verse 15, and out of the bookends of this lesson... It's the, the whole purpose of the book. Look at verse 16 of Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It is written, the just shall live by faith. That's why Paul's here, is to tell people about Christ. And see, this is the thing about the gospel, is, is you know we're supposed to tell people about the Lord. But if you've never fully experienced it, you don't understand what the big deal is. When you fully experience the gospel, which means peace, you fully experience the good news, that peace, that good news of the gospel, and, and you start realizing what it means and what it represents, you want to tell people. You want to live it in everything that you do and say. Paul, who was Saul, became Paul. He experienced the gospel. And so therefore, he knew it, he experienced it, he wanted to live it in everything that he did. The gospel is what separates religion from Christianity. Religion, I heard a great quote about this this week, and I'll share it. Religion is man's attempt to know God. Gospel is God's attempt to know man. There are many religions in the world, but there's only ever one gospel. Isn't that the truth? How many times do we see in the world today mankind trying to understand a deeper knowledge of some supreme being? That's religion. The gospel is God coming down in the form of Jesus Christ and trying to touch your life and my life through salvation. We want to be passionate about it. We want to preach it. We want to know it personally. We want to know the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, verse 2 tells us, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the gospel has been promised to us. That's what the Bible is about, Genesis to Revelation. It's about the gospel. In fact, the first prophecy given in Genesis 3 is that Jesus is going to come. That's the gospel. Genesis through Revelation here is to tell us about the gospel. So the purpose of it, verse 2, it's been promised. Verse 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. What you have next about the gospel here in verse 3, it's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. See, you can't share the gospel without sharing Jesus. In the world we live in today, we can get up and we can talk ambiguously about God. And we're still considered okay. But as soon as you mention the name of Jesus, that's where everything changes. You can't mention the gospel without mentioning verse 3, Jesus Christ. Vital. Verse 4, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So verse 2, it's promised to us. Verse 3, it's all about Jesus. Verse 4, it's proved by the resurrection. I, I can get up and tell you I'm going to die for your sins. I could suffer on the cross for your sins. But you know what's going to happen three days later? 
I'm still going to be in the tomb. The resurrection is what proves that the gospel of Jesus is true. That's why when Easter comes around, we take all this time to stop and talk about it because the resurrection is the proof, the validity of Christ. That resurrection is vital. Verse 5, through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all the nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when I understand that I'm a slave, a willing slave, a bondservant, because I not only know the Lord, but I choose to serve him. I've been called out of the world. I'm separated for the gospel's sake. And that I know the gospel has been promised to us. It's all about Jesus. And then lastly, it's something that the resurrection proves. When I know all this and I put this all together, verse 5, I have a calling. We've received grace and apostleship. I have a purpose. I have a calling. Now, what's our calling and purpose? Well, for Paul, he was called to be an apostle, verse 5. What's your calling and purpose? I say this all the time. I don't know what your calling is. I know what my calling is. My calling is, is uh, my wife, my kids, and Harvest Fellowship Church. I know that's my calling. I don't know what yours is, and I encourage you, if you don't know, to seek the Lord to see what he's called you to do. Who has he called you to love? Who has he called you to serve? And once you find that calling and purpose, what are you going to do about it? I mean, that's the thing. is, So often we get saved, and we sit here and twiddle our thumbs. I'm saved. I'm happy about that. What are you going to do about it? I don't know. I'm just going to wait for him either to return or die. One of the two. I don't know. Well, now that you're saved, do something about it. Pass it on. It's, it's all about Christ. If you have been impacted by the gospel and you are passionate about it, you, you, you can't not tell somebody because it's the most amazing thing that's ever happened to you. Because once you really fully understand what Jesus did, and this is what Romans is, this is 16 chapters of what God really did for us, it amazes us. That we have been called, among whom also, verse 6, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So since I'm called, verse 7, guess what? To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. You're a saint. Now usually at this time someone says, oh, I'm not a saint. Because when we think of saints, we think of what? People that have churches named after them. People that have statues over in Europe somewhere. That's not what this word's talking about. This word saint literally means to be separated from, to be called out of. A saint just means that you've been called out of the world for a divine purpose by God. It doesn't make you better than any other Christian. It doesn't mean that you're more spiritual or more super. It just means that God has separated you from the world for a divine purpose. You're a saint. Now, some of you may be saying, I'm still not a saint. Great quote by J. Vernon McGee. He says, you're either a saint or an ain't, and you don't want to be an ain't. And he says, if you ain't a saint, that's a problem. So you're either a saint or an ain't. You want to be a saint. Saint does not mean perfection. It does not mean you walk on water. It does not mean you have the whole Bible memorized. It means you are separated by God for a divine purpose to go tell people about Jesus Christ. I want to be a saint. And that's what God has called us to be. Because once again, we are separated from the world. Now, this doesn't mean that separated from the world, it doesn't necessarily mean that we go out there and we force the gospel down everybody's throat. When I first got saved, that's what I did. I don't care if you want to hear about Jesus or not, I'm telling you about it. It means that our motives... Our words, our lifestyle, our actions are different from the world. Because people can see us and see the difference in how we live and how we act because we're separated from the world. The world creeps into everything, doesn't it? At a very young age, the world creeps in. I was just talking to Judah this morning uh, before I came out here to church. And Judah's excited. Uh, birthday's coming up Thursday. He's turning the big five. We have been counting down to this birthday for weeks. And every day we talk about birthday and what does he want, what are we going to do, the party, the whole, the whole nine yards. So we're sitting here this morning, I'm getting ready to come out to church, and I said, Judah, I said, you got church Wednesday night, CBC. I said, why don't you have mom make you some cupcakes and take the cupcakes out to the kids on Wednesday night so therefore you can share them for church and all that other type of stuff. And I could tell Judah didn't really like that idea. And I said, well, I said, Judah, I said, it's your birthday. Why don't you take the cupcakes out and you can tell everybody, hey, it's your birthday. You can have a little celebration there and everybody will like it. He goes, Dad, 
He goes, if it's my birthday, shouldn't they bring in me cupcakes rather than me taking cupcakes to them? And I thought, isn't that the world? The world is, well, wait a second, what are you doing for me? See, Christianity is, what can I do for you? Jesus is, what can I do for you? The world is, what will you do for me? See, so what happens when we go through difficult times in life? The world says, unfair. I didn't sign up for this. This is what I asked for. Christianity says, as a bondservant, as a willing slave, I may not like it, I may not want this, but Lord, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. What, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? So when you understand the gospel of what this means, and we have 16 chapters to expound on this. You really understand what it means to be born again and saved in Christ Jesus. And the good news, what, what does the gospel do? That good news takes us deeper in a walk with Christ. And what's the result of all this? Verse, the end of verse 7. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You want the grace, you want the peace, you've got to have the gospel. Too many times people out there living in the world today and they're dying for grace and peace. They want peace in their marriage. They want peace in their home. They want peace at work. They want peace in their life. But they're trying to do it apart from Christ Jesus. Unless you have the gospel, you will never have grace and peace. This world is a horribly difficult world. Some of you have had things that have happened to you that you have not asked for, nor signed up for, nor wanted. But it's the gospel of Christ that brings peace to a trials and tribulations. Paul knows that. He knows that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. How does he know it? So verses 1 through 7 are a classic Paul. A very long, wordy introduction. Verses 8 through 15, he has a few little personal things he wants to say. Then it's really in verse 16 that we hit the heart of the book. But let's start in verse 8 here. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, Paul liked Rome. He liked the Romans. We're going to get to that in a little bit. He wanted to go see them. He wanted to go see the Rome, Roman church so bad. And at this point, he hadn't seen them yet. He had such a heart for him. And he does get to go see him in a little bit, and once again we'll talk about that. But at this point, he hasn't seen him, but he knows he loves him. Look at that verse one more time, verse 8. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Now stop and ask for a second here. Can you thank God for every single Christian? Can you really? I mean, can you honestly be thankful for every one of them? Or is there some that are like, well, Lord, <laughs> no, not them. Isn't kind of interesting about Christianity? The common denominator of Christianity is Jesus. Of everybody here today... It'd be very rare that all of us would ever be in the same room at the same time because of some worldly event. It just wouldn't happen. Because you may say, well, we'd all be there at a sporting event. No, there's people here that hate sports. Well, we'd all go here to see a movie. Nope, nope, there's never going to all agree on the same movie. We're never going to agree on everything. There's one thing that brought everybody here today, so that's Jesus Christ. Now, can you stop and say, verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, every single one as you look to the left and to the right? All? See, that's a pretty big statement. A few weeks ago, we went through 2 Timothy and we did a message on all, where Paul said we're supposed to honor all, love all, respect all. But can we be thankful for all? Because a lot of times what I see in the body of Christ is that we're supposed to be brothers and sisters in the Lord, but yet we're fighting more than the world's fighting sometimes. Can we be thankful for all? See, here's the thing. We may never be best friends, but we share the same Father. We may never agree on everything in life, but we have the common denominator of Jesus Christ. Satan knows that if he can take your energy and my energy and spend that in fighting, that's less energy that is then spent spreading the gospel of Christ. So that's why division is always such a big deal in the church, is because the more we fight among ourselves, the less we're worrying about seeing unsafe people get saved. Maybe you came out of a church where they're just always at each other's throats. There's usually not much vision in a church like that where they're trying to see the gospel spread. They're more worried about who's doing what. We want to be thankful for all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, that was a convicting verse for me. Now, maybe it's not convicting for you, but I thought about that. Is my faith spoken of throughout the whole world? And I don't mean literally the whole world. But let's just keep it simple. If you're living at home, 
Does everybody in your house know and understand your relationship with Christ? Okay, let's go one step further. Now, if you're going to school, do your classmates know about your walking relationship with Christ? What about your uh, friends you hang out with? Or maybe the people where you work, do they understand and know your relationship with Christ? And to go one step further, what about your people that you call friends? Do they know about your walking relationship with Christ? Paul is saying here, is your faith is so evident that people know about it. And it's not because you're shoving the Bible down their throat. It's not because you're always wearing the Christian shirts. It's not because you're blaring Christian radio. All those things are fine and dandy. But they know you're born again and saved just by your actions, your words, and your lifestyle. You know why I know this? Because Paul never saw this church yet. He didn't say, gosh, you guys always wear the best Christian shirts over there in Rome. Every time I go to Rome, you're playing great Christian music. He didn't know that. Every time I go into your house over there in Rome, you always got a scripture up. He's never seen them. He knows their faith is spoken of because of their light and their witness. See, too often we take this too far and we say, I'm going to let everybody know I'm a Christian because I'm just going to keep telling them again and again and again. Let them know you're a Christian just by your actions and your lifestyles. Now, obviously, as the Lord opens a door, share Christ. I don't mean to downplay that. But let your actions and lifestyles, let it be evident to all. Next one. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Now, now they ask this, how's your prayer life for the body? How's your prayer life for the body of Christ? I, I I'm, don't mean this in the way it sounds. But the prayer list for just Harvest Fellowship is a pretty daunting prayer list. And if you really want to be a person of prayer, it's not like you, you etch out a few minutes here and there. You make a lot of time. Because to truly pray for everything, my goodness, it's an effort. And this is what happens a lot of times as Christians. We really don't do a good job on verse 9, do we? Now, we say it a lot. Now, just think about that. How many times do you say, well, I'll pray for you? 30 seconds later, you're walking away thinking, no, what was I supposed to pray for again? We just say it. It's just so common. I'll pray for you. That's why when I, when I tell somebody I pray for them, I tell you right now not to elevate myself. If I tell you I'm going to pray for you, by golly, I, I'm going to pray for you. I mean that. And if I write you a card or let you know I'm praying for you faithfully, I am praying for you faithfully. And sometimes I, I know my own heart and mind. I know sometimes I don't remember stuff right away. So sometimes on the phone I'll say, you know what, let's just pray right now. Or, you know, you may say, hey, pray for this. We may be in the foyer. And there may be people that want to shake hands and say, let's just pray right now. Why not? Boldly go before the throne of grace. Let's just pray right now. And that's the thing is, if we say we're going to pray for somebody, let's really pray for them. If we get um, a, a prayer request at home, be through the prayer line, email, or phone call, sometimes we'll just stop what we're doing and say, hey, let's pray right now for this person. We want to do what verse 9 says. We want to pray without ceasing. As a church, and I don't mean harvest, but as a body of Christ, we're really quick to pick out and complain and get annoyed about things. But really, we should be praying. If there's a ministry that you really just aren't happy with, when's the last time you prayed for that ministry? If there's a pastor you're not happy with, when's the last time you prayed for him? So often we can pray for these things, and I, and I firmly believe this, more is accomplished through prayer than what we will ever know. My goodness, if we would be a church that would pray for each other faithfully, if we would pray for the church and the vision and the leadership and all that faithfully, my goodness, you'd see so much happen. Paul faithfully prayed for these people, verse 9, with out ceasing. I really think Paul had a heart of prayer. I really do. So, when it comes to the body of Christ in Rome, he thanked God for him. Verse 8, their witness was evident. Verse 8, verse 9, he was always praying for them. What happens next? Verse 10, making requests if by some means now at least I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul says, I want to see you. I want to see you. One of the side effects of being saved is there's a desire to be with other Christians. Now, that's tough sometimes, isn't it? It's amazing how, how complicated Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and Bible studies throughout the week can get, doesn't it? It's amazing how that can be the first thing to go sometimes. But there should be a desire to want to be with other 
believers. Paul says in verse 10, I, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you, desire to be with others. I remember when I first started out here at church, I thought it was my responsibility to remind everybody that we had church Sunday mornings at 10. I remember one time hearing a teaching where the pastor said, he goes, that's the Holy Spirit's job. Rich even says it simpler. He goes, you know what? They know the doors are open at 10. They know we're here. That's part of what we do is we're just going to be faithful. We're going to be here. We hope that you can come. Now, obviously, if something's going on, we'll come minister to you, etc. But Ultimately, it's a responsibility for that person to say, I want to be with other believers. And this is what I've noticed, just take it or leave it, my personal opinion, is you have a tendency to, to hang out with people that are around the same spiritual quote-unquote level as you are. And so what happens is, is if you're the type of person where you, you, you want to be involved, you want to be vital, you want to be on fire, you, you probably will be around other people that are involved and, and want to be vital for the Lord and on fire because that encourages you and uplifts you. And if you're the type of person that kind of likes middle of the road, or I don't want to feel really convicted, you'll hang out with middle of the road Christians because they don't really make you feel bad. Because then when you say something like, yeah, you know, you're not really talking about what you're eating or doing and serving. And I'm not saying this to be judgmental. I'm just saying this to be honest. I've seen in my own walk. When I'm on fire, my goodness, I want to be with that person that says, oh, can you believe what I read today? No, what'd you read? I'll tell you what I read first. Because we're just so excited about the Lord. Or, you know what? I got a chance to share with that guy today at work. Oh, that's so cool. I got a chance to share. If I'm not where I'm supposed to be spiritually, I, I don't want to hear about what you read. It makes me feel bad. I don't want to hear about who you're sharing with because it makes me feel bad. So I want to be around those people that don't talk about what they're reading. They're not talking about who they're sharing because then I feel so much more comfortable. Christianity is not about being comfortable. The whole point of us being around each other is to, as it says in verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established, that is, I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Paul says, I want you to take me deeper and I want to help you go deeper. I want to encourage you and you encourage me. That's the purpose of church. There's 101 reasons why not to come to church. And I'm not going to go through them because I, don't, I still want you to come. But there's really a lot of reasons why not to come. There's one reason to come. God said to. Now, doesn't that sound tough? God said to go to church. Why are we going to church? Because we have to. God said so. Well, that's not the heart of their intent. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let's not give up meeting together. Or some of your translates this, Let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Proverbs 1, 1. I was happy when they said, Let us go into the house of the Lord. I, I hope and I firmly believe if you come... With an open heart and mind, you'll, you'll get something out of the service. Be it through the fellowship time, be it through uh, the worship, be it through the word, be it through something. I firmly believe if you come with an open heart and mind, you will get something out of the service to help you go deeper in your walk and your relationship with Christ. Is it because we have it all figured out out here? Of course not. we got a lot of problems. <laughs> but we will be faithful in presenting God's word and showing the love of Christ and being led by the Spirit. If you're faithful to come, I guarantee you'll get something because God will bless it. Now, if you come because you have to, I don't know if you'll get anything out of it. I've had people every now and then come and say, I, I came to church, I don't get anything out of it. Are you, are you coming with an open heart and mind? Well, I think so. I mean, I try. I don't know. I'm there. Uh, ever had a conversation with somebody who you could tell did not want to talk to you in any way whatsoever? Yeah, they're there. Same thing with devotions. I have people come up and say, yeah, I read. I don't get anything out of it. If you treat your devotions like homework, like I have to, you're not going to get anything out of it. It's when you treat your time, your quiet time with the Lord as, Lord, this is a time for you to speak. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. An expectation of God speaking. You'll definitely get something out of it. Paul says, I want to be around you. I, I want to be near you, verse 10, so that way we can be around each other. Why, verse 11? Because I want to see you be established. 
That word established means to set firmly. I'm not saying this is the exact definition of the world, but every time I see that word established and I think of to set firmly, I always think of concrete. It comes out soupy, it comes out wet, but then as time goes on, it hardens. I think that's what happens here with established. I want to help establish you in your faith. I want you to help establish me. There's times in our faith where both of us are pretty soupy, but being around each other, we encourage each other, we uplift each other, we establish each other like concrete to build on each other there. As it says in verse 12, therefore we are then encouraged by each other. I don't say this judgmentally. I don't mean this to attack in any way whatsoever. But anytime I run into somebody who tells me that they're born again and saved, but they don't see the importance of going to church, I always want to. I always wonder, how can you say that? Because part of being a Christian is desiring to be around other Christians. And sometimes, well, I don't like going to church because they're all hypocrites. Yeah, at least we admit it. We are hypocrites. I'm the most hypocritical critical person up here right now. I'll be the first to say that. But the reason I'm here is I want to grow. It's like saying I don't go to the doctor. Everybody's sick. Well, that's kind of the purpose of the doctor. The purpose of the church is for a bunch of hypocrites to come in and be more like Christ. And that's why we're here. You know, and there's, like I said, there's 101 reasons why not to go. But God says, I've designed you to be a body. Body. God has designed us to come together as a group. And what happens, as we've talked about earlier, if God has designed us to come together as a group, what is the enemy going to do? Try to keep us from coming together as a group. I've heard the dumbest reasons why people don't come to church. I've had the dumbest reasons why I don't want to go to church. Because those are all there where the enemy is trying to keep us from where we're supposed to be. As we joke out here all the time, Satan is not keeping you from Walmart. You're not. I really want to go to Walmart, but I feel like I can't. No, you can go. You know it's easy. The enemy will keep you from where he knows that you will grow in your walk in relationship with the Lord. And that is amongst other believers that will encourage you, establish you, and help you. Paul says, I want to be with you. Now, here's the interesting thing, going back to this bond-servant-slave thing. Paul says, I want to be with you. I want to go see you. Guess what? Paul got to go to Rome. And how did Paul get to go to Rome? In chains. See, Paul got to go see the Roman church, and he went in chains and shackles as a prisoner. So this is not one of those be careful what you wish for type thing. No, it's not that. It is as a bondservant, if God lays something on your heart and you have the desire to do it, God says, we'll do it. It may not be the way you want, may not be how you asked, but it will happen because the Lord says, you're willing, I'm willing, we can make this package deal work. See, this is what happens. So often, Lord, I want to see that loved one saved, but Lord, don't hurt them. God knows their heart. Maybe that person has to go through some trials and tribulations to get right with the Lord. Lord, I want to go deeper in you. I really want to grow. And I want to grow by everything going good in my life. God may say, no, the way you need to grow is I need to whittle off some of that junk. See, as a bondservant, as a willing slave, I say, Lord, I'm in your hands and I trust you. So when Paul says, I want to come see you, God says, good, I want to send you in chains. Well, that's not a loving God, but it is. Because by Paul going to see the Roman church in chains, we got the book of Philippians, we got the book of 2 Timothy. And now thousands of years later, hundreds if not millions of people have been touched by Paul's chains because we read and study those books and we're like, wow, Lord, you are working, you are moving. All because he was a willing bondservant. He was a willing bondservant. Let's go ahead and finish this up. Verse 13, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now. I might have some fruit among you just as among the other Gentiles. Paul you know, he's writing this through the Spirit. I don't even know if he realized what he's saying. I've wanted to come so bad. I, maybe in his flesh he was thinking, boy, one of these days it's going to work out just to pop over and visit you guys. God had a deeper plan. Verse 14, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. See, look at that phrase. I'm ready to preach the gospel to you in Rome also. In chains. He doesn't know it. The Lord will do that. He will, he will do that. Verse 14 is what I want to finish with here. This idea of being a debtor. Paul didn't owe these people anything. What Paul's really saying is, since I've been born again and saved by Christ, I've been so touched by the gospel, 
I feel a spiritual burden, a debt to go tell other people about it now. I've been so touched by what God has done for me, I, I feel this burden to go tell other people about Christ. It's not a have to, it's a want to. And that is what we're talking about here, is when the gospel touches your life passionately, when the gospel touches your life personally, you will want to go out there and spread that and share that and encourage people with it. You will want to be that light and witness in all that you do and all that you say. And Paul says, that's what I want to do, which takes us into verse 16, which we'll get into in the next couple of weeks. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also for the Greek. That's the purpose and the point of Romans, is let's talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means for our lives. So I encourage you, as we get ready to finish going through this book over the next 16 chapters, you will be blessed by it. There's a lot of good stuff in here, but it all comes down to is understanding that I willfully give my life to Christ. And as I give my life to Christ... I inherit salvation through Jesus, but I willfully say, Lord, I'm yours. Use me. Use me to further the kingdom. It's not my will, but your will be done, Lord. That's what it comes down to. Mark, if you want to come forward.